Welcome to the Renovate Church Sermon Podcast. At Renovate Church, we are passionate about teaching God's Word in such a way that you really get to know the heart and character of God and where you can apply the truth of Scripture to every aspect of living. We believe that God's Word is relevant and has the power to transform your life. We're excited for this most recent sermon and we hope it blesses and encourages you. Amen. Thank you, Tato. Thank you, worship team. Go ahead and have a seat. We'll transition. Uh, Elementary and Ignite, the kids can be released. Go ahead. Man, we finally got through some of this rain. Who's glad to see the sun? I know I am. I'm a... we were uh, years ago, a couple years ago, we were in Seattle. If you've never been to Seattle, uh, we have some good friends from there. But they average about 75 days of sunshine. I couldn't do that. I like the sun. Austin, we average about 300. So thank God for the sun. Amen. Welcome to Renovate. I am uh, Pastor Donnie Mabe and Pastor Dave and April out today. So I'm going to continue in this series, The God of All Encouragement. This series is so powerful because... Honestly, have you ever heard anybody say, you know what, right now, I'm just too encouraged. Like, just stop. Don't talk good about me. Don't tell me I'm doing, you know, what, don't tell me about the good things God has for me. I'm just so encouraged right now, I'm just going to shut it down. So today, hopefully, my objective and goal today, this message, I'm going to take a little different spin today. And I'm hoping, again, I'm a strength coach by by day, I want to give you a steroid shot of strength today. So hopefully that's my object, that visual there is good. Again, I know steroids are illegal, so you don't need to tell me that after the service. I'm good. All right, so there are two frogs that decided to leave the safety of the swamp and go visit a dairy farm nearby. As they got into this dairy farm, they accidentally hopped into a large pail of milk that was half full. Well, as they stumbled into this milk, they realized they had fallen into heaven and immediately started swimming around and just lapping up the milk full of joy. Well, after some time passes and their bellies get full, they realize we need to get out of this bucket and get back to the swamp. We're good. But sure enough, they try as they may, there's no handles or anything on the bucket slick, and they realize that they're trapped. The second brother The second frog looks at the first frog. He goes, we're doomed. There's no way out. He panics. He goes, it's over. There's no way we're getting out. We're going to face the destiny of all frogs and die. The first brother looks at him and goes, what are you talking about? Let's keep swimming. There could be a miracle in here. Keep swimming. You just don't know. Something is bound to happen. The second frog would not listen to his brother. And he says, it's been nice knowing you turns up his little nose, and sinks to the bottom of the pail. He dies. Well, now the first frog is like, it's just me. i got to make it happen. So he swims in circles frantically, backstroke, forward stroke, cross the back and forth. He starts hearing these, these voices in his head from his brother going, that's it. Let's die of the fate and just surrender and go. And he keeps swimming and swimming until he can't swim no more. And eventually he runs out of energy and he can't. And his legs are so numb and fatigued from the from the stress of trying to swim, and he finally goes, that's it. I'm going to join my brother at the bottom of the pail. And lo and behold, he stopped swimming. And crazy, he noticed something that happened. Actually, he noticed what didn't happen. He didn't sink. He just floated. 
He's like, wait a minute. And he slowly reached out his leg, and sure enough, there was a large chunk of butter he had churned. He hopped onto the butter and left the pail back to the swamp. I share that story in that parable because of this. You know, if we're not careful with discouragement, if we don't change the way we think, we can stay in that vein of discouragement. And so today, I want to talk to you briefly about the struggle bus. That's the title of my sermon. Everybody say, the struggle is real. Amen. The struggle is real. Touch your neighbor and say, you got this. Touch your other neighbor and say, it ain't so bad. It ain't so bad. Well, it kind of is sometimes. So this week, last week, Dave, Pastor Dave talked about Jeremiah. This week, we're going to look at a, a character in the Old Testament by the name of Naomi. It's a, it's a woman. So I love to, if you've never studied the book of Ruth, you need to read this. It's a very short four-chapter book. So Naomi. So in this, a little context of this character, Naomi, this takes place uh, during the book of Judges. Um, during an era of time where there, were, there was no king, the nation of Israel, Joshua had died and passed away. There was no leadership. And now this nation would just do whatever they wanted. And so you would see this cycle of God's people falling into idolatry, bondage, oppression. The enemy would come in and beat them down. They would cry out to God in prayer. He would raise up a judge or a deliverer to deliver them. And people, they, for a season, they would walk with God again and they would recycle that. This story today takes place in that context. And so listen to, uh, this is the key text, Ruth 1. This is Naomi. She had a husband. She had two sons that married Orpah and Naomi, excuse me, Orpah and Ruth. And they've moved. There was a famine in the land because of the wickedness, so they move. Her husband dies. Both her sons die. And now think about this. As a woman back then, where was your livelihood and inheritance? It came from your husband. So if your husband dies and your two sons die, what does that tell you as a woman back then? There was, there was no like, oh, I'm going to get a job and I'm going to be a career woman and I'm going to drive a Cadillac and have that high office. No, she's done She's done so. There's nothing left for her. Her life's over. Her husband's gone. Her sons are gone. Her two, her two daughters-in-law, I mean, they're not going to wait for another man to be raised up from her. She's so old. So let's listen to what she says, her despair here. She says in uh, Ruth 1, verse 20, 21, don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara. Notice the name Mara is the term for bitterness. Her name used to mean beautiful, but now she's changing her own name because of her life. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has what brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought this misfortune upon me. Now, Let's play a little Netflix here with me. Just bear with me. Let's skip and let's spoil this thing for you. Let's work all the way at the end. You ever do that with the seasons on Netflix? You just scroll to the end. You want to watch that last one? That's what I'm going to do to you here. Don't be mad at me. Don't hate your boy. Matthew 1, 5 through 6. Let's see kind of what the ending is in her life. This is the genealogy of Jesus. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Now, Ruth, right, who's her mom? Her mother-in-law is Naomi. Obed, the father of Jesse, the, Jesse, the father of David. And if you read down, it goes into Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was the Messiah. So here's God 
a woman by the name Naomi, she's on the struggle bus. Her husband dies. Her two sons die. One sister-in-law leaves her. Says, I ain't fooling with you. I'm gone. Peace out. I got to find me a man. I got I to get me a man, lady. But the other one, Ruth, stays in and clings to her, and her destiny unfolds through this tragedy. Now, here's the problem, though, uh, when we're talking about discouragement. Think about the time, the culture in this era. Let's just read one sentence. You'll get the gist of it. This is Judges 21 through 25, or verse 21, 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. This is the last verse right before we go into the book of Ruth. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their eyes. The problem with that, and just like it is in the U.S. today, we tend as believers to interpret our lives based off what? How good we're doing. Well, just like Naomi, if I'm doing great, God's with me. But if I'm on the struggle bus, God's, God's against you. Are you praying enough? Are you going, like, do you even love God? Yes, I love God with all my heart, but I'm struggling, right? And so let's just for a second, I've got some points today, but I want to give you a little bit of paradigm shift in your mind about how you think about adversity, trial, and struggle. All right, here we go. This is from the book of Tim Keller on uh, walking with God through suffering and pain. It's not a good book that I would encourage you to read, but it's, it's tough. Western culture, this is the USA today. This is our culture today. Suffering has no purpose at all. There's nothing, I, there's nothing good going to come out of this. I'm wasting my time. This is a, I mean, God gave me a vision to do great things, to reach nations, to, to change, to build my company. Why am I going bankrupt right now, right? In the Western culture, God's, it, uh, our goal is right, personal freedom and happiness. I don't know if you've read the Bible recently, but in Isaiah 53, it says Jesus was a man that was what? Acquainted with grief. It was just like happiness and joy was part of his walk. This is the Messiah. This is our Savior. He knew grief and suffering. He knew how to walk through that and saw the benefit of it, right? Another thing in Western culture, avoid it at all costs. Medicate it. Manage it. Well, you know, have you been to see a counselor lately? Because you need some counseling. You're not, you don't look too good. You don't look happy, right? An interpretation of our lives is part of it, right? There's no part, as we interpret our lives, of, of suffering should be in there. And in suffering in the Western culture, you're the victim all the time. You're not the victor. So let's look at, over in Christianity, the different view, the paradigm of, of suffering and, and struggle. It's actually a great opportunity, number one, to do some soul work. Let me say something here. If there's one thing I've learned as we've come out of that pandemic and we're going into new, what have we seen today? People's inside, their hearts are truly coming out. They're nasty. It's gross. We're selfish. We don't love each other. We're not working as a team, right? And so our two hearts, so soul work has a lot of virtue. Uh, there is no emphasis on human whole, uh, power and glory, right? The Christianity, the walk with, with Christ is you laying down your life, humbling yourself, 
exalting Christ and bring, he'll bring glory to your life when he's ready. But it's not, it's not about you, right? I love it. Um, it's dominated by this, what, this idea of grace. And see, that's where we miss suffering and pain. I'm not, I am not saying this morning God causes pain and suffering. That is not my message today. He allows it. But there is a grace in your life. When you're broken and when you're humbled through situations you have no control over, there will be a fresh grace on your life that is so attractive. People are not, in the world are not attracted to arrogance, pride, and all that. I've been around some of the most successful people. They look down on me. They think I'm nobody, and, they're, they, and they've never been broken. I don't want to be around them. That's not a trap. That's repulsive to me. So in our lives, when you're broken, you walk through, you actually, there's, an, there's a grace and a kind of an energy that comes off your life, so to speak, that people are drawn to because it's authentic. It's all, Jesus was broken. That's why, that's why the adulterers, that's why the cheats, the liars, the, 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 the crazy like taxpayers that were so corrupt were drawn to him because what? He was broken. He wasn't arrogant. He wasn't, I'm better than you. And put that slide back up one more time, please, if you can. Might have lost it. There we go. But if you face suffering rightly, it drives you deeper into God's love. And then again, I think the most powerful thing is that suffering can be meaningful, hardship. And so Naomi was kind of interpreting her life through that modern culture and when you read it. Now, you'll see here at the end her, her vision changes. Let's give you just a, uh, some examples of some just people in the real world that suffered. Who likes Harry Potter? Go on, raise your hand. I'm not going to judge you. I like Harry Potter. Raise your hand. You know, you, we got some junkies out there. You know, you read, you know, you get over Christmas, you rewatch those movies. Not me, but I know you do. J.K. Rowling, single mom, living in a small cramped apartment, penniless, jobless. She felt like a complete failure is when she wrote the first Harry Potter book and went big. The next guy, Dyson. You ever use vacuum? Where's my ladies? No, guys don't vacuum. Dyson vacuum. Come on, guys. Get that shoulder working, baby. <laughs> that shoulder working. 5,126 attempts to build this vacuum. He spent 15 years, all of his life savings, pretty much on a near bankruptcy. The 5,127th model hits, hits, he finds his vacuum. He's the most popular, probably one of the most successful, rich vacuum owners today, Mr. Dyson. Winston Churchill. He was ostracized and pushed out by his political party. Right? He goes through this wilderness years, struggle again, right? Um, at the outbreak of World War II, right here, 1939, he's appointed to the British Admiralty. The next year, he was, what, elected to be prime minister at the age of, what, 62. He struggled. He was on the struggle bus. It was good for him. Made him the leader he was. And then lastly, who knows that? Who likes KFC? Throw your hand. Well, I'm going to throw up all my stuff. I like some chicken. Y'all like them biscuits with some honey. I know y'all do. Make your belly stick out. So Colonel Sanders, in the, early, in the 1920s, he was fired at his job because he had a huge temper. He had an anger problem. For the next several years, he gets fired over a dozen times for different jobs. Opens up his first restaurant. It crashes. He goes bankrupt. He has no money. At the age of, let me see, I want to make sure I'm correct on this. 
uh, he, he went broke at 65. At that point, he starts traveling the U.S. to try to sell his chicken. By the time he's 74 years old, he's got over 600 chains open of KFC, and he's one of the wealthiest people at the time in the restaurant business. 74. He struggled even later in life. What's your excuse? What? You're, if you're find, find the goodness, right, the meaning in your struggle. Sometimes adversity is what you need to face in order to become successful. You, your advantage is, is adversity. God will take you through a season of struggle to fight through that, to come out on the other side, to be stronger and more resilient coming out, right? Amen. I love what the Apostle Paul said. I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So that's another way. I mean, I think that's the very essence. Paul finally got to the place in life where he says, I delight in weaknesses. Bring them on, baby. Let's go. I delight in what? Hardships. Because I know what? When, when, when I go through something hard, I'm broken and weak, but guess what? God's power in me will overcome that. And so when you need to be encouraged, when you get to that bottom of the barrel and you're just at the end of your life, you're going to see it in a second, that's where God's spirit will fill you and enable you to walk through that season to overcome that, to be stronger because of him. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. First John. All right, three points. Here we go. Let's get into the points here. I'm going to give you a little, some nuggets here. Three purposes of pain. These are, again, I want to state it again so you hear me. God does not cause pain. He can discipline you. That cannot be fun. He does that as a good father. He does not, like, I was, when I was a little boy, I don't know about you, but I would take a magnifying glass, and I would go, don't judge me, and I would burn little ants with the magnifying. I was evil. That's not God. That's not God's heart. So God's not doing that in our life, right? He's not just kind of playing with you as a puppet. So why does God allow suffering? I think point number one, we'll get into number here, number one is refinement. Refinement. God is, wants to do a work on the inside of you, right? Um, when we look at refinement, we normally, people don't go, hey, uh, man, I've got money, I'm blessed, I've got a good life. Can somebody just put me through some hardship? I just want to get uncomfortable. If I, if I offered a class today at Renovate Church called, you know, how to look for hardship and difficulties and trials in your life. There's not one of y'all coming to that. It's going to be a big goose egg show up for that class. But if I'm going to do a class on how to be successful, make money, and have influence, we might have 10 or 15 of you, maybe more come. So, so oftentimes, right, in life, we don't sign up for these classes and this training God puts us through, but he does that on purpose. Um, think about pain for a second. C.S. Lewis said it like this. When... When we feel pain, he said, God will whisper to you, right, in your success, in your, in your, in your life. Let me, let me read this right to you. It says here that uh, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pains. Pain is God's megaphone, megaphone to arouse a hurting world. And the Greek word for for, uh, for megaphone here, is, it's an interesting word. 
Apropos is the name of it. And it literally means to shout. Let me ask you questions. Fellas here, have you ever been creeping across the living room in the middle of the night with, if you got kids, and lo and behold, you discover this nice, large, razor-sharp Lego in the floor in the middle of the night with your foot? Raise your hand if you've done that. What did you do? Ah! You're hopping around on one leg. You woke the whole house up, right? That's what pain does in your life. Maybe it's not that little Lego, but pain is what? It's God waking you up in your life. He's arousing you to something greater. And I found in my life that crisis oftentimes in my life will bring clarity. Until I get to that point of, of where it's hard and difficult, crisis now, I couldn't hear God, but guess what? Now I hear what you're saying, God. I got you loud and clear. We're tracking. Refinement. Let's look at here at uh, Mal Malachi. Did we get it up here? Malachi 2 or Malachi 3. It's not up. Just listen to it. Malachi 3. Here's the refinement piece with God. But who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? Here it is. For he will be a what? God will be a refiner's fire and a launderer's soap. He will set as a refiner of purified silver, and he will purify the Levites in, as pure gold. Now, I remember years ago my dad went to, I think he went to Mexico. He sold insurance, and my dad was one of those guys. He loved a trinket, a good trinket. You know what Rolex watch is? You know what that is? Anyway, my dad always wanted, I think back then, this was in the 80s, they were like 5,000, they're, they're a lot more expensive now. Anyway, he went to Mexico and brought us back. He brought me back, son, gleam in his eye, look what I got you. I'm like, what is it, dad? It's a Rolex watch, son. I put it on and I go, oh my God. I was like, these are so expensive, like, thank you so much. He goes, really, actually, I'm sorry, it's, it's not real, it's a fake. And he said, you know how to tell, right? And the, the hand on a Rolex moves, a real one moves continually. But the fake one ticks. <laughs> I was like, oh, I, I'm like, nobody in my school knows. I'm going to be. So every day I went to school. Hey, fellas, bling, bling, look at your boy. Rolex. <laughs> look. Floss. I'm flossed up. Look at your boy. Clean. I was a hit. About a week later, 10 days later, I started noticing. I looked down on my wrist. I'm like, what's that green stuff on my wrist? What is this? It's fake gold. Oh, I was so embarrassed. Had to take it off, threw it away. Like, I ain't never taken nothing from my dad again. But you know what? When God's refining your life, it's like pure gold. He's going to get the green out of your life. He's going to get the impurities out. I love when you look at a refiner, right? The other, the other picture I love about the fire of refinement is this crucible. A crucible was a small little bowl of an object, ceramic, that could withstand high levels of heat. And the, and the coppersmith or the metalsmith would take that metal and put it in there and stick it in the oven and pull it out and heat it and cool it until the impurities would come up. He'd draw it off until it was pure gold. In our life, God's refining you. He's getting out the junk of your heart, the jealousy, the envy, the, the lust, the impatience, the anger. The judgmentalness you have towards people at your work, in your neighborhood. God's getting that out of your, and it doesn't feel good. But he wants you to look more like Christ, refinement. 
just some areas there, kind of God will refine us, his pride, I think, self-preservation. Here's when you know somebody really has pride. You isolate yourself. When you go through hardship, go back to the Garden of Eden. Look what Adam and Eve did when they sinned. What did they do? Do you know what they did? It said they hid themselves in the trees. They isolated themselves from God. And so when we go through hardship, here's my question to you. Do you run to God? Or does it drive you away from God? Because if you got pride in your heart, you'll isolate yourself. Because you don't want nobody to look at it. See, you're embarrassed. You're, you're just being so prideful and insecure. Where really what you need, you need somebody to help you. I love that story of Samson when he was so prideful and judges again. And he gets in this bad situation. And he's, he's not, he was supposed to be a, a Nazarite. Not cut his hair, not drink wine, and not touch. There were three things they weren't supposed to do. Not touch dead things. He wouldn't listen to his parents. He went down and met Delilah. She pokes his eyes out, cuts his hair, loses his strength. Watch this. When his strength grows back at the end of his life, he finally humbles himself. He's not prideful. And he asks for help to the young boy next to him. He said, son, put my hands on the pillars so I can push one more time. And in that moment where he actually humbles himself, he brings down all the enemies more than he had done up to that previous state. How many of us, if we would just humble ourselves and ask for counseling and help to carry this cross, this burden, this struggle I'm going through, could push back the enemy today? See, the, Jesus said when a, when a demon goes out of a believer, he walks through waterless places and he finds seven other demons stronger than him and he brings it back to that house to enter it. Why don't we as believers, when we go through difficulties and addictions and hardships, go find seven other believers stronger than the demon to come back and help us walk through that and beat him down? So we don't think right. Refinement. We've got to be refined. Application here. What you go through, you must grow through. God wants you to grow. And that's what Naomi did. Point number two, confinement. Point number one was refinement. Point number two, confinement. I'll never, 1992, I blow my left knee, ACL. Anybody ever blow an ACL? Oh, Lord, we got some here. That's right, Mr. Carly. Yeah. It's not rainbows and unicorns, I'll tell you that. Cotton candy and popcorn. It is not fun. It is, it's one of the darkest seasons of my life. And that's actually where I met God. When I blew my knee, my idol fell down, and he, I really, God just started pursuing me. Anyway, Tore my knee. I'd never had an MRI. Back then, the technology was terrible. The MRI was about as big as this room. You walked in, it was like Willy Wonka in the ch chocolate factory. It was like you walked in the room like, oh, my God, you're going to stick me in this thing? What's it going to cut me in half and, like, slice me up like a sausage? And so this big, huge machine with this little tube. I was at the, I'm, I'm slim right now, baby. Back then, I was big body. 265 pounds. They stuck your boy in this little metal tube like a sausage. They stick me down in this thing, and, it's, and I'm not kidding. I, the, the, the lady asked me, are you claustrophobic? I said, I don't think so. Guess what? I found out I am. <laughs> so they put me in this thing, and I'm like, what is this? I can't even breathe. They try to put headphones on me to, to, to distract me. That made it worse. Now I'm worried. I'm having panic attacks. So oftentimes, that story, I look back in confinement. There's going to be times and through struggle that you're going to be confined. You're going to be at a job that you can't leave because you can't find a new one. 
Prisons aren't always like four walls with bars. <laughs> They're not. There's different types of prison out there. You might be stuck in a house. Your mother, fellas, your mother-in-law might be sick and she's in the house with you. She's the monster-in-law. That's a prison. Can I get an amen from the fellas? Amen. You might be in a situation, I've seen this, in, in, you, you get divorced, and now all of a sudden you have, a, you have some kids, you share custody, and the judge won't let you leave town. I know some guys I know in coaching right now, and they're miserable. God's got them confined because he's trying to work on them. And so sometimes God will take you and confine you in a season to do work on you. Um, Psalms 23, verse 2 says this, listen to it. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. There will be seasons. I talked to my good friend from, uh, I can't say the school because I don't want to put him on blast, but he, he just got let go, football coach. Talked to him, he called me two weeks ago, called me early in the morning, phone rang, I'm like, why is he calling me? I pick up the phone, what's up, brother? Say, man, your boy's struggling. I said, what's wrong, dog? Say, man, I just got let go and this other job, like, I, want, I need a job, but, like, I don't want to go work with this guy. Like, he's oppressive, and it's like, I said, let me tell you something, man. I said, you're in a season right now. Rest. Don't take that job. Take this season to renew, to reflect, and get stronger. God will put you in the right spot. He had so much peace came to him right there. He said, I appreciate it. I needed to hear that. And there's going to be seasons where you lay down. Don't just... Don't just keep numbing yourself out on, I, I, I don't, again, I'm using, I always hit on Netflix. I've been watching it recently. My daughter's up here. I've been watching some shows lately. I've been kind of getting into it. But don't numb yourself with entertainment, with, with food, with alcohol, with addiction, with mindless, like, no, take this season. Get some structure. Get up. Get in the word. Seek God. Get around some strong believers. Get encouraged. Do some of that fun stuff, but don't just check out a life when you're confined. I love this. There's some uh, people here that went through confinement. Noah was, I, I put 40 days. I actually researched it. It was actually a full year he was in the boat. Now, contextually, imagine you had to spend a full year in your house. Come on, fellas. Who's going to need divorce counseling in here? All of us, right? Joseph spent 13 years in prison. Prophet Samuel, he was 12 years old when God spoke to him. He was called. For the next five years, he was under this wicked priest by the name of Eli. He was confined. David spent seven years running. He was a fugitive. He had defeated Goliath. He had the sword. He had the anointing. He, had the, he was strong. He could defeat anybody. Now the Philistines were so scared of him, yet he was running from Saul, confined. Apostle Paul was under arrest for nearly five years where he wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament, confined. And then Jesus, which I want to read this one, he was 12 when his parents were looking for him. He was lost. They found him in the synagogue. And then let's watch this. This is Luke 2, um, 40, 48 through 52, through 51 and 52. Listen about this. This is Mary here. When his parents saw Jesus, they were astonished. His mom said to him, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been 
anxiously searching for you. Then he, watch this, then Jesus went down to Nazareth where he was what? With him and he, he was obedient. But his mother treasures these things in his heart. Here's what it says about Jesus for the next, from 12 to 30, for the next 18 years. Here's what it says. Listen to this about what he did. And Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, with favor with God and with man. That's what he did for 18 years. He was confined. Are you growing? You don't like your situation? Are you growing? I'll never forget uh, 2007 in Texas. I get, they said they were going to promote me. They didn't. I got stuck to me. I got stuck in this position. You know, I, for two weeks, I walked around and pouted. Look, a little puppy dog, just tail between my legs and like, they're treating me bad. I'm the victim. And this is just, just go home to my wife and Karen. I'm like, babe, I can't believe this place is so horrible. Tear, treat me terrible. I just got to get out of here, man. This is horrible. Gosh, I hate this place. For two weeks, I felt terrible. And I said, I can't take it. If I'm going to be here, I'm going to get better. So I went in that discouragement, in that suffering season, and signed up for every leadership class I could take. I traveled, talked to experts, read books, took seminars. Texas paid for all of it. Do you know that ended up leading to me getting offered the position as a director where I'm at now? You know why? Because it made me get out of my comfort zone. I started talking to administrators, and they started realizing, oh, you're good at that. So when they created this brand new position, which nobody knew they were going to create, they said, you're our guy. We want you. Why? Because I grew. I, just, I was confined, but I grew. I'm not going to just sit here and just be stagnant. I'm not going to be like that frog in the pail and just go to the bottom. you got to swim. Confinement. I want to play a little clip here um, just to kind of show you. Movie clip on this point, and we'll have one more point, but... Anybody ever seen The Count of Monte Cristo? Phenomenal movie. If you have not watched it, I highly recommend it. Monte Cristo actually means the mountain of Christ. And so the movie has a lot of themes that redemption, revenge, God's grace and blessing and favor on your life of what you do when you go through hardship. So in this, this clip, is about a minute and a half. The main character is Dante's, and he's in his prison with this Italian priest who's about to die. For, so Dante's is falsely accused of treason, like, this is during the time of uh, Napoleon. So they were saying he was going to cross over with Napoleon. They accused him. He's about, on the night of his marriage, they accused him. They put him in prison because they were jealous of his promotion. He, kept, he was being promoted. He was young and very successful. So this evil emperor guy puts him in prison. For six years, Dante's is about to commit suicide. This, this Italian old priest is trying to, he's burrowing these, 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 uh, he's burrowing these tunnels to escape. But he accidentally comes up into Dante's cell, and for the next eight years, he's confined. Dante's is trained by this priest. He teaches him mathematics. He teaches him English, law, teaches him culture, teaches him how to sword fight, and trains him up. And the whole time, Dante's is thinking, I want to get out here and get revenge on my enemy. Listen to what he says right here, if you'll play it. See if it'll play. Bill, on that island of 
the Italian coast. Monte Cristo? Yes. Youth, use your head. Follow the clue. The tunnel's blocked. I can't keep escape. Keep digging. When you escape, use it for good. Only for good. No, I will surely use it for my revenge. Here now is your final lesson. Do not commit... Oh, do not commit the crime for which you now serve the sentence. God said, vengeance is mine. Believe in God. It doesn't matter. He believes in you. So powerful, isn't it? I don't believe in God. No, God believes in you. How many of us in our adversity and confinement, we feel like God's left us? No, God believes in you. And if you, spoiler alert, he gets out, right, and he finds this treasure that he had lied about, and he has a chance to Go take revenge, so you need to watch the movie to find out if he takes revenge. I left you on the cliff. Sorry. So confinement. Confinement. Here's the application. God will do a work in you first, so he can do an even greater work through you, just like he did Naomi. She was bitter. She, was turn she wanted to turn her back on God. But God has something greater for it, just like Dante's. Point number three, last point, assignment. Point number one is what? We need to be refined. God's going to do a, he's trying to do a work and strip us of some things. Confined, we're going to be put in a tight space and limited for a season. It's okay. God's not done with you. He believes in you. But ultimately, God wants to get you to your assignment, which is what Naomi was getting to. You see, oftentimes... The Bible says this in Proverbs that many are the plans of a, in a man's or a woman's heart, but it's the Lord's purposes that will come to pass. Oftentimes, for us, our plans and destiny and visions we have for ourselves are so small compared to what he has. And so Naomi didn't see this. So with an assignment, here's the danger. Here's what we can run into. Listen to me. This is kind of crazy. 1967. A psychologist by the name of Martin Segelman did a research study on depression. Because this is what you run into when you're struggling. I've been depressed. It ran in my family. It is nasty. It, is, it, it, can, it can ruin your life. Here's what he found. He took, there were two parts to the study. The first part, he took three groups of dogs. The first group of dogs, he harnessed them up for a long time. After a certain time, let them go. Second group, in the third group, he yoked them together, put them in this place, and every so often they would give them light shocks. The second group could, would push the little dog he learned, he would push a lever and the shock would stop. The dog next to him, the third group, would feel the same shock at the same time as the dog next to him. He would push the lever, the shock would not stop. It would just randomly quit whenever they decided. So that was the first part. Then he took those same group of dogs in the second phase of the experiment and research, and they put them in a little shuttle box. The little shuttle box was a box where they could sit in there, and there was two sides. There was a little wall here that they could kind of get back and forth to different sides. So they put that first group and second group over here, and when the shock was administered on this one side, they would jump the shuttle barrier and escape the shock every time. Do it every time. Third group, they put in here, gave them the light shock, 
Even though the barrier was small and easy to hop over, the dog would lay down and whine and just take the shot. Here's what he learned about that in life. They call it, psychologists call it learned helplessness. And so here's my challenge to you. If you're struggling, don't give in. Get back up. The enemy will come in to do what? To keep you down. But you gotta make a, a cho- you got to make a choice to rise every time. Get back up if you're struggling. I love the acronym for HOPE, H-O-P-E. Hold on, pain ends. Hold on, pain ends. The pain you're currently feeling cannot compare to the joy that God is coming in your life. Difficult roads, that's our theme today, lead to what? Beautiful destinations. Naomi was on a difficult road, but it was leading to a beautiful destination. She couldn't see it. Um, Let's read this again here at the end. We're almost done. Ruth 4, let's go all the way to the end and let's see what happens. Let's do it here. Ruth 4, it says this. So Boaz took Ruth. So now we're at the end of this story, right? So Ruth is uh, Naomi's sister-in-law, daughter-in-law, excuse me. And she's going to marry Boaz. This is the last chapter. So they become husband and wife. She gets pregnant. Ruth gets pregnant and has a son. Uh, The woman then, Ruth looks at Naomi. Here's what she says. Praise be to the Lord who this day has what? left you with a guardian redeemer. See, that, that there is like a type of Christ. Boaz was in this story. She was without destiny, without inheritance, without, without a life, and then Boaz comes into her life and redeems her. He makes a choice to be like, hey, I'm going to choose you. You're not choosing me. I'm choosing you. Even though you don't deserve it, I'm choosing you. And then guess what? It was through what? Obed, the son, listen to that now, just like God, we don't deserve eternal life, but it's what? Through who? It's through the Son. It's through Jesus that we get our inheritance and we find our destiny and purpose. It's through the Son. I say, Naomi, let's keep reading it. May he become famous throughout Israel, talking about Boaz. He will do what? He will renew your life. He will sustain you in your old age. And in your daughter-in-law, who has what? Who loved you and who has been better than seven sons, has given you birth. Look at what all the, the ladies in the city look at her and go, guess what? Naomi has a son, not a grandson. She has a son. And they named him Obed, who was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Think about that for a minute. Who raised Obed? Naomi did. She was the grandmother. The great, great, I don't know the lineage, I'm terrible with lineage stuff, but if you go do the 23 and me, Jesus was in that bloodline. Of Naomi, who lost her husband, who lost her sons, who struggled, was on a struggle bus. God chose her to be the person who would mentor and parent Obed, who would be the father of Jesse, who would have the son, King David, who would change history. So here it is. Our assignment, here, here's the key on the last point. Our assignment has never been about what we can do for God, but what God wants to do through us. That's Bill Johnson. Our assignment is never about what we can do for God, but what God can do through us. And my last encouragement today, if one dream dies, dream another dream. Amen? The struggle bus. So if I could call the worship team back up, we're going to review, and I'll give you a little bit of the transition. We're going to go back into our prayer groups to close out today, and what we'll do, if uh, 
prayer team can come up. We'll have Collie and Teresa on the sides, and then Rachel will be over here and Willie over here. And we're going to do one, at least one song here. If you're discouraged today, if you're on that struggle bus, it's okay. Quietly get up and go get prayer. Prayer team, pray for breakthrough. Pray for, pray for God to show you where you're at right now in this season. And so that's what I'll leave you with before we close in prayer. What is the Holy Spirit speaking to you today through the message? Is he refining you? Is the fire hot? Let God do a work in you now to get you ready for what he has. It's coming. Does he have you confined? Are you just so miserable you're complaining and you want out? Ask God to give you the grace, to give you a fresh vision, to find your Ruth. There's probably a Ruth there that you could pour into in that season that will give you new purpose, new identity and to get through this. Or maybe, just maybe, God today will show you your assignment through this message. My assignment for me at Texas came in the middle of a dark season. But guess what? It came from me doing what? Not focusing on me, but I started helping others. And it was through that assignment that my purpose and destiny was birthed. Amen? Let me pray for you, and then I'll give it to the worship. Lord, thank you so much for this message today, for this word. God, let us pray that you would not only bless everyone here, but God, speak to it. Lord, I pray today people would leave with a encouragement, new strength, new wind, new sails, new vision, new gifts, new call. God, send fresh wind, fresh fire into their spirits and hearts today. God, fire them up and get them excited. Don't look at adversity as something that's going to break them, but as something that's what? It's going to make them. And we give you glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we are so glad that you joined us for our service this morning. If you are interested in learning about how you can start a relationship with Jesus, we would love to be here to talk that through with you. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 12, that whoever has the Son has life. And we really believe that here at Renovate. So again, if you want to start a relationship with Jesus, if you're just interested in learning more about the faith, you have questions, we'd love to hear from you as well. Or if you want to grow as a follower of Jesus or get more involved in what we're doing, we'd love to hear from you. So just go ahead and comment on the platform that you're at or reach out to us by email at info at renovatechurch.com. Again, we're so glad you were able to join us. We hope you have a great week and we look forward to hearing from you soon.